Well, as we go into the sermon again, I want to give you a little bit of background of John, uh, the guy who writes actually this letter here. And John was not just some person that sat there and wrote some letters and, and that's it. You can imagine he had also a life. And one of the things that he did in his life um, is go to a bathhouse. We would say we go home and take a shower. They didn't have that at home, so they went to a bathhouse. They would spend some time there. They would bathe. They would clean. They would relax. They would talk to different people. It was also a gathering place and so on. And one time he ran out of that bathhouse. Tradition says that he ran shouting, flee this place, lest it fall on you, for Serinthius is the enemy of the truth, is entering the house. He was obviously not in favor of this Serinthius. Now, what does that have to do with you here sitting, sitting about uh, some kind of a discussion that John and Serinthius had? A lot. Because that started, or that was the main reason why John now starts into this text that we have today. And he calls people out and calls them anti-Christ. Now, that S at the end that I just said, that's not the German mistake. Oh, the German made a mistake again. <laughs> you know. He says anti-Christ's. When John talks about this one big opposer against Christ that will come at the end as he writes the book of uh, Revelation, he points out that one guy, but we're not talking about this one guy. John, here in this letter, he wants to make sure that we get this straight. There are some people that were kind of part of the church but were not part of the church, and they have left the church with the wrong teaching, and now they are trying to convince us that their teaching is right and our teaching is wrong. And Therinthius was one of those guys. If I say that name wrong again, then excuse me. Um, they had funny names back then. <laughs> well, Serinthius, he was actually the main advocate for and also the kind of founder of the idea of Gnostics. Nowadays, we don't know really about the Gnostics and the Gnosticism, and um, it has kind of faded away. It might still be here. It's definitely in Ecuador. Um, there would be in any little bit larger city, you would find some house that has the name Gnosti Gnosticism or Gnostics or something like that on there or their symbol that they have, and they still teach those things. And John was the one to confront that and say, listen, there's one Antichrist and there will be many more. And Jesus actually says the same thing in Matthew 24. There will be many that come and say, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ. Don't follow them. They are lunatics. They are leading you astray. Now, I want to make one point clear right from the get-go. I am not here to tell you about those people that are bad guys and that you should not associate with or, or something like that. I am here to point out, and that's my goal in the first part of the sermon, just to point out what kind of things are they teaching about this Jesus? 
And when we go now into a few of those groups, like Gnostics and like other groups that I will mention soon, bear that in mind. I'm not talking about bad people here. I'm talking about a bad theology that they have. They have a wrong, they have a limited view of Jesus Christ. And if we limit our view of Jesus Christ, we limit our identity in Christ and we limit everything that there is because Christ is the center of our life and he needs to be the center of everything that we do. The problem with the Gnostics was that they believed in some kind of a universal form that is called the Christ and that universal force, may the force be with you, um, that is something that you can know. That's where the Gnostic knowledge comes from. If you work hard enough in knowing all those things, then you can actually accomplish getting to know or getting in contact in a flow with this gnosis. And uh, Jesus was actually the one that made us aware of it before Jesus. Humankind was basically blind to this. Jesus came... He was a human being born of Joseph, Joseph and Mary, and at his baptism, he received this Christ. And he had it all the way to the cross where he died, and just before he died, he breathed out this Christ. It left him, and he died a human being. Um, everyone who tries to find that and gets into Jesus Christ and maybe those people in Asia that don't know Jesus Christ, they go through another medium that has also received a revelation of this Christ universal force or something like that, they would then go onto a right path, finding the right way to live, finding out what is the right self, and they would go into this right self-fulfillment through knowing what is going on. It was all about this going about finding yourself, doing the right thing so that you can move up and, and be more and more filled with this knowledge. Nowadays, we have those uh, influences still. As I mentioned, the, the Star Wars, don't get me wrong, I love Star Wars and I love to watch those. But in the end, if you look at those things, you have those forces that are there, but there's not this one redeemer. They look for this one redeemer. Anakin is not the guy. Luke is not the guy. And in the end, there's always this fighting back and forth between the dark side and the good side, the, the good force. May the force be with you. Um, we have this also in Buddhism, in Hinduism, where people reincarnate. They, they die and then they come up into a different form. They might be reborn into being an animal. They might be reborn into another higher caste human until they get to a point where they're reborn into some kind of a high authority within all those chaos. And if they're lucky, and if they live well enough, then they will advance into this force and will be kind of deluded into this universal thing and be part of it. And we see that again in Star Wars when Joda and uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi are there in spirit form um, being pleased um, that everything went like planned. Um, so it is still out there. Um, the main point here is not making Star Wars or Buddhism uh, bad or something like that, but they don't have a Christ. You basically need to find your own way into self-fulfillment. And if you don't, well, unlucky you. 
I want to move to the next group that is out there that has a wrong view of Christ, the Mormonism. Mormons, they have many different gods. And there is this God father and God mother, and they have spirit children. And one of the spirit children, in fact, the first spirit children was Jesus Christ. Satan is his brother, and there is many other children, um, spirit children. And if a person here on earth um, is, lives well enough and has a knowledge of Jesus and learns from him and abides to all the rules and regulations that you find in the Book of Mormons, then you're on the right track and might be able to reconnect with this force. One of the sayings that they have is, as God is, man may become. You can become a God if you just do the right thing. See, the Mormons, they say that Jesus' sacrifice, he um, made it possible for us to get this eternal life through Jesus Christ. But then you have to work your way up there. You have to do it. And if you look closely on that book cover, it says, The Book of Mormons, Another Testament of Jesus Christ. Or in other words, another Christ. You have to abide to those rules and interpretations. They do read the Word of God. They do read the King James Version. And that's the anointed version that they say. But in order to understand the King James Version, you always have to read the Book of Mormons to understand what's going on in the Word of God. If you don't do that in connection and you, if you don't abide to the regulations and interpretations of the Book of Mormons, you're on the wrong, wrong track. In the end, you have a high moral, a high moral standard, but if you make it into becoming a, man, a God or not, that is totally up onto your lifestyle. It's all works. Same thing with the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's all works. Jesus is not God. If at all, you can call him maybe the Archangel Michael. And it's even in their material, and I looked it up on, in their material. They say he was probably the Archangel Michael. So they shift around and, and they try to explain things. They said Jesus is going to come back sometime 1800 something. He didn't come back, so they moved the date back. He didn't come back, and then they said 1914 he's going to come back. He didn't come back, but then they said, well, we can't say that again. Um, so we're just going to say that Jesus came back spiritually. Well, the Bible says clearly Jesus will come back in a way that everyone will see it. So they twist and shift and move things around. And in the end, if you want to make sure that you're on the right track, then you have to be baptized Jehovah's Witness. You have to abide to the rules and regulations of the Watchtower Society. And if you're lucky, you will be on the right track to live on a perfect world that Jesus sometime will establish or even make it to the 144,000 elected that might go into heaven. But it's all a wishy-washy thing. You don't really know what's going on unless you abide to all those regulations that the Watchtower Society puts out. It's all about works. Jesus, yeah, he was a good teacher, but that's about it. Islam, Muslims, if you go into that, then they say clearly Jesus is not God. Allah is God only, period. Jesus, though, was a very good disciple. He was a very good teacher. He had his disciples. He had very good teachings. He was actually, in fact, the prophet 
from God so much as David and Abraham and Noah and other prophets in the Old Testament were prophets of God. Jesus was one of the prophets of God. But then ultimately God sent the perfect prophet who gave the ultimate information, Muhammad. And all those information that he brought were the information that you basically need to live a perfect life. And you do good as good as you can. And if you screw up, I mean, yeah, I mean, it weighs up. It's all in the scale. The good and the evil, it kind of weighs out. And in the end, it all depends. And I found this one phrase that actually comes from the Quran. It is translated so some people, some Muslims might say, well, this is not valid because it's not in the original language. But the phrase goes, the most faithful will be saved by Muhammad's intercessions and Allah's mercy. And Allah's mercy is not, nothing compared to the grace of Allah, to the gift of, of life, of eternal life of God. Allah's mercy is basically he decides if he wants to let you in or not. If, he's, if you're lucky and he is, he's in a good mood, he does. If not, you don't get in. Jesus Christ is somewhere in there as a teacher, but not more. So is that a savior? No, he's not at all. We need to save ourselves in that religion. If you go to the atheism, there is no God. Jesus if at all, was some kind of a good teacher. Some people even doubt that. Atheism also goes into evolution theory and so on. So in the end, it is all the survival of the strongest. If you shout the strongest, if you have the largest crowd, you can determine what is the right thing to do and what is the wrong thing to do. Atheists put the new rules. And in the end, if there's no God, who else would put those rules out there how to live and what is the right way to live and what is the wrong way to live? Is homosexuality right or not? Are other things that are out there right or not? All is determined not on a higher power, but on humans. And who is the strongest, who is shouting the, the loudest, will determine. There is no God. And in the end, if there is no God and if there is no Messiah, there is no I mean, where does it all end? In the end, they say there's probably no God. And in fact, that was one of the commercials that they had in Germany at an evangelistic event called Pro Christ. Um, the atheists wanted to have a, a counter movement. So they put stickers on the buses. And Germany has a very good uh, public bus system. So the buses are big. The stickers were big. You could see it, and on the sticker it said, there's probably no God, so stop worrying and enjoy your life. Well, they made a mistake. They put probably in there. And with that, people started worrying. <laughs> you know, if there's probably no God, there could probably be a God. So start worrying. And people were running to this evangelistic event because all of a sudden they realized there might be someone who has answers for that. But, yeah, how does it end? I mean, if there is no God, life here on earth, if you're done, you're done. That's it. But it's not like that. The Bible tells us something else. The Bible says that there is something after this life here on earth. And how do I get there? How do I get saved and get to the Father? It is hard. And then there is this everything goes Christ. And I just want to briefly mention this. They just include Jesus. You can be 
um, going through this yenga stuff and so on, and good and bad, and you can do yoga, and you can do the feng shui in yin yang, and, and all kind of thingies and so on, and throw Jesus in there, and you're good. I had that on the mission field many times that people said, okay, I believe in this spirit and in this God and, and all of that. And as soon as they heard that Jesus Christ is the king of kings, the God over all gods, and that the Holy Spirit has actually a power, they said, wow, I want that. Throw it in. So he was one of many, and it gets really wishy-washy. You don't know what's going on, and in the end, it, it waters down many things. John goes out there and he says, be aware of all those antichrists. And I could go on. In fact, I have here a pamphlet that's Christianity, cults, and religions. And they compare Christianity here with all the other cults and religions, um, what they teach, and basically only go in key person, key writings, who is God, who is Jesus, who is the Holy Spirit, how to be saved, what happens after death, and other facts. So there's many out there that kind of want to get you safe, but in the end, they have no idea what the real way is. They have their idea, but John says, listen, I've said it in my book um, already before, and I say it again, Jesus Christ is the only one. In fact, John wrote and quoted Jesus where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is exclusive here. He says, Jesus is the only way. You might have heard that Billy Graham passed away this week, and uh, he had lived almost 100 years. In November, it would have been 100 years. He has influenced not just America, but the whole world. And he has lived, actually, in the whole world. He has talked to many, many different people. He has lived, talked to communist leaders. He has talked to Muslims, to Jews, to other religious leaders, to the Dalai Lama, to the Pope, and all different kinds of people. And many people have even said, well, this Billy Graham, yeah, he was wishy-washy, he watered down everything and so on. We don't really believe him. But one thing I can tell you for sure, Billy Graham never, ever watered down the, uh, the gospel. Jesus Christ was the center of everything for him, and he would always get back to that. He would always say, go find Jesus. We can talk about how to live. We can talk about how to do a political system. We can talk about all kinds of things. But I will not budge on my Jesus Christ. I will not waver on him. He is the center of my life. So who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus that John knows, that Billy Graham knew, that I know, that I love, that is part of my life, and I, I don't want to lose him or, or get rid of him. I want to embrace him. And just the other day, I came home preparing this sermon, and I listened to one of the songs in WJTL about Jesus Christ, and I had the windows down. It was one of those warmer days that are gone. I don't know where they are. And uh, I sang the song along. My neighbors probably thought, what's going on here? But I, singing along those songs that we just had about Jesus Christ, who is this Jesus? When you look in the Bible, John calls him the Christ. And we will get to that again in 1 John 4 and 1 John 5, where he's, he names him again the Christ. He is the Christ, the anointed one. When you look up 
the anointed one, you will find this funny-looking word here on the second uh, line. Chrisma. And that is the word, the Greek writing of Christ, um, which is actually in the Old Testament, and it should have been in Hebrew, but they translated it into the Greek, in, into the Septuaginta. You don't have to remember that part, um, but it's just remember that word, charisma, because we will need it later again. It, will, it says Christ is the Messiah. Messiah is Christ. Now, who is that? What kind of a person is that? Christ means that this person is anointed or commissioned to be someone special or do something special. And the interesting part is when you go further down in Daniel 9, 26, we, you can read that Daniel, in his vision, says, this Christ, this anointed one, will put an end to all the sacrifices that there are. In the Old Testament, it was always, if you did something wrong, if you had some sin, go sacrifice something. If you had something to celebrate, go sacrifice, sacrifice something. For the whole nation, since there were also sins that were never confessed, once a year they had this one sacrifice of atonement where the high priest actually had to go into the Holy of Holies and sacrifice and sprinkle blood on, on the Ark of Covenant with God because there were, were so many sins unconfessed and they had to be paid for. And now Daniel receives this message where, message where uh, he says, listen, at some point someone will come and will pit an, put an end to all those sacrifices. And when we look in Romans 6 verse 10, we see that Jesus was the one who died on the cross once for all. Ever since that time, we don't need those sacrifices anymore. Ever since Jesus' death on the cross, we don't need those sacrifices anymore. He died on the cross for our sins once and for all. And you have that in the Apostles' Creed. You have that in, in other things. The Apostles' Creed is actually something that I, um, I'm going to skip, but I want to um, challenge you or that you look it up. It is a way of putting all those things that we believe in one sentence. The Apostles' Creed, I'm not going to skip it because it's so good. I just thought about the time, but I think we still have a little bit of time, so let's go into it. The church fathers, they said, listen, we're going to write down what we believe about this God, this triune God that we can't fathom, that we can't understand really, but let's write down what this in a nutshell is. And this is what we have in a nutshell about God. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born by the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence, he will come to judge the living and the dead. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. God in a nutshell. You can't take anything of those away or else you would be compromising. 
And the Jesus part is the longest because that is important that we get that. Jesus, who was God, something to be fathomed, but we can't fathom it, and we had that in the Bible verse before, became human to die on the cross for your and my sins. Let's look at this a little bit deeper. Let's go through some Bible verses that I just want to read with you. You have them on the screen, but also listen to them. What does that mean? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16. Romans 5.8. God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And let's jump into the Old Testament where we have in Isaiah 53 he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrow, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. But he was despised for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And let's continue with the next Bible verses, and it gets better. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to God by, his, by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled Shall we be saved by his life? And Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been made right with God, in God's sight, by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Go into all the different religions and look for peace. It all depends on self, what I do how I work, how I do my work, how I try to accomplish that. And God says, it's impossible. Go to Christ and he gives it to you. There's an old word that I love. It's called bestows. He bestows the peace on us for the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, how, how do I get that? There's other Bible verses that I could quote now, but I want to go into the short four points to mention to you. And Billy Graham, I, I borrowed that from Billy Graham, and I think he's not mad about it because that was his main message that he always brought out there. He said, first of all, admit that you are a sinner. You are the one who should be on that cross. Admit that you are a sinner. Be willing to turn away from your sin. Repent from your sin. Believe that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross and rose from the grave. And then through prayer, invite Jesus Christ to control your life through the Holy Spirit. I want to read a prayer now. And this prayer is the prayer that Billy Graham has used thousands of times. And I want to use it also. And I want to read this. And if you are one of those person that has never said, yes, I want this, Jesus Christ. I want to live with you. I want to walk with you, Jesus Christ. Then read or pray this prayer with me. 
if you are already a child of God for many years, I invite you to just ponder on this prayer again and ponder on this forgiveness that Christ gives, gives you. Dear God, I know I am a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he died for my sins and that you raised him to life. I want to trust him as my Savior and follow him as Lord. For from this day forward, guide my life and help me to do your will. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. With this prayer, we have a party. In heaven, there is a party. If you said for the first time yes to Christ and prayed this prayer, I can assure you there is a party going up there in heaven. You are adopted into the family of Christ. Now, we have a lot of people here in our church that are adopted. We have a lot of people here in our church that have adopted. And we know about what adoption is. And the beautiful thing is that once you are adopted, you are part of that family. You bear the name of that person. That's why we are Christians. We, are, we belong to Christ. We are part of that family of God. For the time's sake, and I have talked too much and I will get in trouble for that later. But for the time's sake, I just want to give, throw out a few things that I want to encourage you to do. First of all, ponder on this being adopted. There is one Bible verse that I want to read with you um, from 2 Corinthians um, where it says, And it is God who established, establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us, and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. If you look at this a little bit closely, there's uh, the word anointed and put the seal in italics. There's the same word that we had before, the charisma, that, that word anointed. We have Christ in us. Ponder on that. Christ is part of you. And then as you go into it, learn more about Christ. Talk to him. Read the Bible. Read books. I have one book I loved. Um, I read it. It's not the easiest book to read, but Rejoicing in Christ. Who is Christ? Get to know Christ a little bit more. If you want it a little bit more easy to read, I recommend the books uh, 8030 and 8033 uh, from Ted Decker, where you get to know Jesus Christ in a marvelous way. Um, it's, it's just wonderful to go in there. Um, last week, Brian had talked about my identity hinges on my identity in him. And I want to compliment that now and, and add the second part. My identity hinges on my understanding or my, um, my embracing his identity. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you that you ponder that word, that, that you ponder Christ. It's not his last name. It's not first name Jesus, last name Christ. Ponder on that word, Christ. Who is Christ for you? Is he your savior or is he just the rule maker? Is he your savior or is he just the prophet who said some nice things? Is he your savior or is he just one man who lived 2,000 years ago but has nothing to do with me? Is he your Christ? I want to challenge you that you think about that and live that relationship with him. It is all worth it. Amen.